Hey, when you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about those out-of-pocket costs. Now, that could be a lot of money, but are your medical bills accurate? Now, it's estimated that over 50% of medical bills actually contain errors. Now, HealthLock can help. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, or fraud. Now, you can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. Now, to date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. Check them out online, healthlock.com. Go there today. Pure Talk, my sponsor and my wireless company, of now providing international roaming to over 50 countries. Now, as you plan your summer travel, make sure that your wireless company covers you at home and abroad. Now, you can get unlimited talk and text, plenty of 5G data for just 20 bucks a month. That's less than half the price of Verizon, AT&T, and T-Mobile for the exact same service. Just go to puretalk.com slash Sean, S-E-A-N, make the switch today. Save an additional 50% off your first month. That's puretalk.com slash Sean, S-E-A-N. Hey, warmer days remind us of fond summer memories. Now, you can make those moments year-round with a Michael Phelps swim spa by our friends at Master Spas, and that combines the leisure of a hot tub with the exercise benefits of a pool. Now, Master Spas technology is incredible with LED lighting, beautiful waterfalls, and those super powerful water jets installed in just one day. You're going to love it. Proudly made in America. Use the promo code Hannity in the upper right-hand corner. That's masterspas.com for up to $1,000 off. You can exercise, relax, recover with the only hot tub and swim spa brand I trust, masterspas.com. All right, glad you're with us. Sean Hannity Show, 800-941-SEAN. Toll-free telephone number. You want to be a part of this extravaganza. We'll have more on the uh, funeral of uh, George Herbert Walker Bush and, you know... it, it, Linda, you were talking about this earlier. Doesn't it just, so, it's so unnecessary. You know, the I, I, look, let me be very frank. God forbid one day we're all going to pass away. Right, Linda? Yeah, boss. Okay, I, yeah, boss. And when I told you when I passed away, you said, I asked, well, are you going to say anything at the funeral? And you just look at me like, you're so stupid. Why do you talk about this? Well, I can't I, say anything at a funeral because you're going to be in a forest. <laughs> I'm, yes, I am. I don't do nature, I'm going so out you're the, on your listen, own. Listen, I'm going out in the wilderness. If, if I was told I got, you know, six months to live and at some point I was going to need full-time care, I'm not burdening my family with taking care of me. I've lived it. I've seen it. I don't like it. I don't want it. Um, and I'd rather just go out with honor. I really would. I think it's honorable not to demand that your kids are cleaning up your mess and putting diapers on you. Why not? We did it for them. Okay, because I don't want that for the people that I love. I just forget it. At that, what's the point at that point? You don't get to choose when you go. No, I don't. God, I totally agree. God is in charge of all of our lives, and I want to serve God to the best of my ability in my life, and I know that he's given us so many gifts that we so often take for granted, and I appreciate that. But if the doctor says there's nothing, there's no hope, whatever, I don't, you don't want to sit there. I don't want to be in bed. I, look, I won't mention specific family members. I don't want that for me. And maybe you think it's selfish. I don't really think it is. I think I'm looking out for everybody else. And, and frankly, to watch people see you deteriorate and, you know, slowly just go away i know people there might be a couple of people that might want to so take do care you of me. think that it's better no. than to be the commander of your own end 
and have I didn't say commander. I didn't say I wouldn't I'm get sorry, some help. I'm sorry, was I talking? Why would you ask for my opinion and talk over me? You want to hear me or not? No, all right, go ahead. Okay. I apologize. You're welcome. Okay, so you're forgiven. So basically, you know, you have this euthanasia, like, you know, of yourself, where you just say, yeah, you know, I want to go out on this date. It's kind of like, you know, you, you Okay, let me correct one end. thing, though, but this is important. I'm not talking about euthanasia. I'm not going to go walk in the woods naked until I, I finally die of... Nobody said anything about the forest hypothermia. You know, well, it's whatever you do, you're You've been watching too much Life Below Zero. No, no, I do love Life Below Zero. Maybe that's the way for me to go. If you die in your little cabin uh, 5,000 miles from any other you know, town or, or community, nobody would know anyway. And sort of like if a tree falls in the forest, is there a sound? You don't know. Um but what, what I'm saying is, is I'm not saying I'm not going to try and live. I, one of the things, Bills, that we never talk about the president passed was the right to choose in terms of medical care. Like, for example, if they're, you're dying of cancer and there's an experimental drug in Sweden somewhere or Switzerland somewhere and you want to try it, you're not allowed to do it legally. Well, you weren't allowed to until Donald Trump said, you want to try it. It's your life. You have a right to try to fight any way you want to save your life. And, you know, we don't. the process of approving a medicine or a drug, a pharmaceutical of any kind is so typically Washington bureaucratic. But if you want to die, if you want to if you want to and are willing to take the chance because your pr- diagnosis prognosis is horrible then you, I think you ought to have the right to do that. I am not talking about picking the day that I die. I am just saying. I was know, just uh, merely recommending that as an option. That's all. And, and just no, for the record, Sweet Baby that. James that's agrees God's with decision. you and not me. I don't want to play God with my life. I think, look, he chooses one's birthday and, and I think day of death. When he wants to call me home, he calls me home. That's it. But my, what I was, was going to say and finish you know, I've actually planned for the possibility that one day I might need care. It's called insurance. Hopefully it'll be there if I need it I planned it one for day. it, too. I had a baby. I'm all set. Okay. So the point is, is that I just don't want my family to do it, but that this is the business of other people that that's how they make their money by taking care of very sick people, and they're actually wonderful people that do it. And I'd rather let them, and I'd rather my family remember me how I really am. And the whole point of this in the beginning was, before you interrupted me, that... First you know of all, what? you invited me. I did. When you're on my time, I go. can reclaim it. You can, are you reclaiming your time? And Maxine, Re- all the way. Oh, reclaiming my time. Reclaiming my time. Yeah, reclaiming. So my point was that, you know, at all of these people that were so horrible to Ronald Reagan when he was president, all of these people that were awful to John McCain when he was running for president. They liked the John McCain that kind of sticks it to President Bush or sticks it to the Republican Party, et cetera. They loved that John McCain, the maverick. But when John McCain was a threat to the liberal establishment, they didn't like that guy. I mean, they tried literally in that campaign, they tried to paint this man who is not a, as a racist. And then now we see it with George Her- Herbert Walker Bush. These are people that referred to him as a wimp. These are people that referred to him um, as somebody out of touch. He didn't know how to use a scanner at the grocery store. By the way, one of the best inventions is it goes so much faster when you do it yourself. I love the do-it-yourselfer part. Don't you like that better? And then you put your credit card in, you walk away. Love it. 
So, but my point in this is, and then all of a sudden, you, you know, good people die that they never said a good thing about. Ronald Reagan and George Herbert Walker Bush, they transformed this country in ways that were, frankly, remarkable. 21 and a half million new jobs were created. It was the longest period of peacetime economic growth in American history. It was peace through strength. They, they literally led the way in the decline of the former Soviet Union, the evil empire, as Reagan said. And, and well, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. I mean, it happened. It happened when George H.W. Bush was president. You know, so they went, and at the time, you to think about the bad economy of Obama. 13 million more Americans on food stamps, 8 million more in poverty. That's what Trump inherited. We already have 4.5 million new jobs created, 8 million Americans out of poverty and off of food stamps. Amazing. Conservatism works. The same idea. Large tax cuts stimulate the economy, eliminate the bureaucracy, incentivize businesses. You know, get rid of the burdensome regulations that put a stranglehold on American competitiveness that has literally forced companies to spend billions and trillions of dollars overseas because they can't make money in a competitive marketplace worldwide because government gets in the way. It's ridiculous. And in the process, when they spend their money elsewhere, well, that takes away jobs and opportunities, you know, for people. Oh, let's see. In Pennsylvania, Ohio, Michigan, and Wisconsin, look at the new trade deal with, with Canada. The biggest beneficiaries in many respects are going to be car automotive industry, which is now moving back into some of these areas. Steel hopefully now will be coming back. Dairy and farming now is protected based on the new deal that the president struck with Canada and Mexico. But when, when George Bush became vice president in 1980 and Reagan was president, Remember, there was double-digit unemployment. What was it, 12 13%? Think of that. We almost we have a million more jobs available today in America than we have jo- a million more than we have people on unemployment. Right now, right now today, interest rates double-digit. I know we've gotten used to all these low interest rates, 3 3 and oh, it went up to 4%. Four and a half percent. What? Listen, and the Fed's not helping because that you know all through the Obama years, the Fed protected Obama's economy by artificially keeping interest rates low. Now they're trying to push them up, and that's that was the major reason for the major sell-off that took place uh, in recent weeks in the stock market. There's a little uncertainty today over what trade concessions the president at the G20 was able to get with China. Uh, so far, all they did was put a hold. And already concessions are being made by the by the Chinese. They don't they need our markets more than we need them. And that's why Trump, the great negotiator, art of the deal, is now putting the pressure on China like he did our European allies on NATO, on Canada and Mexico. It's the same game he plays. He doesn't want a trade war. But again, Reagan and Bush inherited interest rates, double digit unemployment, double digit inflation, you know. Wait, interest rates, I think, were 21.5% at one point. I forgot. Inflation, double digits. You know, and they, it's amazing 
how what what is now what now is the Trump economy and Trump uh, philosophy and approach to the economy. It's kind of identical to everything Reagan and Bush did. Anyway, just to finish the thought without getting too far here. So all of these guys, they do all of these wonderful things. And the left and the media, they hated Reagan, hated him. They were after him constantly throughout his presidency. Now, not as bad as it is today. It's never been this bad. I showed an interview with with George Herbert Walker Bush last night that I had with him in 2004. I guess my hair was a little bit darker back then, but we'll put that aside for a minute. And he talked about, and this was during the reelect of his son, how horrible the media is, and they were. And when George Bush was running for reelection against Clinton in 92, well, during a debate, he looked at his watch. Liberals were begging, you can't stick to that no new taxes, read my lips promise. So he made a deal. What liberals love, they love compromise, they love deals. And then they literally, they made him eat that, eat those words every single solitary day. If you say read my lips, you kind of better stick to those words. So, you know, all these wonderful things, the Soviet Union collapses, the walls separating East and West Germany, that that all happens on his watch. The world is a better, safer place. We have more economic prosperity, more, more, more forgotten men and women back in those days in the 80s and early 90s. Guess what? They're all doing well uh, all of a sudden because of all the economic, uh, economic opportunity and stimulation in the economy. You know, a guy that was successful in business, a congressman, an ambassador to the U.N., chairman of the National uh, Republican National Committee, director of the CIA, eight years vice president, four years president. But now only when you, it's like only when you die, they're going to say something nice about you. But to get to my point and finish it, if any liberal out there that I, you know hates me and they say something phony, will you do me a favor, Linda? That's my last request. You there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay. Say, stop being a phony. You hated him all throughout his life. Don't worry. Hate- I look forward to lecturing everyone I couldn't say anything to him when you were alive. Why can't you say anything to him when I'm alive? Because you always tell me to be nice. I do tell you to be nice. It's, what's the point? What do we care what other people think? Are we going to live our lives based on what other people think of us I don't every care day? what they think, but it's still fun to tell them what I think. Yeah, but just don't be a phony about it. They want the veneer they're putting on. Oh, such a good man. And all it is is now an attempt to bash this guy. There's going to the be a ticket guy. entrance only to your funeral. Don't worry. Well, ticketed event. We're going to sell tickets to it's gonna the funeral. It's going to be a VIP event. You're not on the list. Get out. Smoking is not about politics. It's about people. There are 34 million Americans that smoke. But for me, Juul was a game changer because you switch to Juul. It's simple. It's satisfying. And no more smell. I watch people all the time. They run outside in the freezing cold. It could be grabbing their cigarette. Well, with Juul, you'll take a quick puff and you're good. That's it. Now, Juul is designed with smokers in mind. From its form to technology, it's easy to use. No buttons, no switches. And the goal of Juul is to impact the lives of adult smokers by providing a satisfying alternative. Switch to Juul. You'll wish you had done it a long time ago. To discover the smoking alternative that is nothing like any e-cig vape you have ever tried, go to this website, J-U-U-L, Juul.com slash 
Switch America. That's J-U-U-L dot com slash Switch America. Warning, this product contains nicotine, and nicotine is an addictive chemical. J-U-U-L dot com slash Switch America. All right, so much news we're going to get into today. By the way, uh, Piers Morgan, Bill O'Reilly, and um, this, you, you are not going to believe. We told you the case of Clint Lawrence. Remember this case? I do not understand this country at times, the way we treat our heroes, our brave men and women in uniform. And, you know, we, we've been through the double standard. Remember we had the case, uh, what was his name? He had the six pictures in the submarine, uh, uh, Saucier, Christian Saucier. And he got in trouble, got a year in jail. I, I mean, it's a 50-year submarine. And he never shared it with anyone. He didn't put it on social media. This is how we treat our heroes. You know, we're going to hear more from Mueller today on the issues involving, you know, the plea agreement. He never lied. Nobody in the FBI thought he lied. This is how we treat a 30-year vet. You know, one of the saddest things we're seeing in this country is politicians, they get all worked up and start these wars, and now we're afraid to fight them or finish them. Clint Lawrence takes over a platoon, and a platoon that was hit by an IED with these guys on motorcycles and sure enough, he's in charge, and these motorcycle guys are coming right at his platoon again. He has no idea if they're IEDs in the, on that motorcycle or not, and he's got to make a split-second decision. Well, it turned out they didn't have IEDs. Then they threw him in jail. And the problem is, is that the fingerprints of the guys on the motorcycles were found on other IEDs, and he's still in jail. You would think that that would be exculpatory. 58,000 58, American kids we lost in Vietnam to pull out. Now, if we're not going to win the war, don't start it. You know, at least, you know, we, we have seven, however many years, 17 years now. If you're going to make a decision to fight, you can't let it become politicized in Washington. And we, we cannot allow Washington either, and we'll tell you this case about Eddie Gallagher later, to decide after the fact in the safety and the comfort of their big offices and meeting halls whether or not that guy made the right decision in the moment to save lives of people that he's, he's fighting with. Unbelievable. All right, 25 till the top of the hour, 800-941-SEAN, toll-free, what? Tell, toll-free telephone number. You no, we were be... all just talking in the studio. I was just to- mentioning Wait, to Say the that team. again, we were all talking? Oh, talk? I was talking. Everybody else was. Say, say talk. Chatting. I was talk. talking, talking, talking in the studio. I was talking in the studio. About okay. how annoying what you, you ta- are. What? what are you talking about? Well, you're very annoying with the, with the morbid talk all the time. It's, it's enough not, already. I don't do morbid talk. You do, actually. No, you, you do. Don't. No, you're you're no. not even well, sixty we, we, years old. You know, we're never promised tomorrow. We have to live each day to its fullest, and you're planning your death. God gives us the gift of life. Don't give and me you know the what? God gives us Nobody, the gift of life no, well, after you just talked about the death gift. for thirty well, minutes. Listen, no, I'm not talking about that. It is a fact of life. As a matter of fact, Elton John's circle of life. Are you going to sing now? Are you a human singer? Human beings don't live forever. Now, if you believe the human beings are mind, body, and soul, which I do then you believe that your soul lives on. First of and all, the a, circle of a, life that a, Elton John wrote was to help a young cub through the death of his <laughs> older lion king. 
I know, that's true. This isn't about you talking about death that, for 30 okay, minutes in the first half hour of your show. I did not talk about death for 30 minutes. And I'm, what I'm saying to you is that it's, if you listen, it's, it, you might learn something that's worthwhile here. Oh, is, really? If, if what, is, are, what is worthwhile? That I should watch Life mind, Below Zero? Body, if we are mind, body, and soul... We should die in means, the forest. And if we were created by God, which I believe we were, every we should man... should die in the forest. Every man, every man, woman, and child on earth... And I believe God gave us all individual talents. I mean, think of one amazing thing. I know what your talent is, talking about death for 30 minutes. No, it's not. Think of this. Everybody has their own individual fingerprint. Now think about that. That's pretty amazing that everyone is, has, no one has an exact replica fingerprint. It's kind of cool. Now, And everyone has look, opinions, too. You can look at the majesty of creation from the very smallest things in life, like Oh, an ant or a butterfly. All things you can find in the you, forest when you die. And you and you like to take Liam to the zoo, right? He's three years old. He likes the zoo. I he love likes the animals. Zoo. The zoo is fantastic. Yeah, my kids, when I went took them to the zoo, they did not like the experience because dad, me, had to try and mimic all the animal noise. You know, this is great like radio. I know it's great radio, right? So we're mind, body, and soul. So we, our soul, as a Christian, I believe that, okay, we die. And that if you believe that in the story of Jesus, we're coming upon the Christmas season, and this is not a public school, so I can talk about God and Jesus still, right? Then you believe believe that your soul goes to heaven as because Jesus laid down his life for, for, for us, for we're sinners, at least I am. I know you're perfect, but you know, the rest of us are sinners. First of all, I First never all, said what? that I was perfect. Second of all, I believe in the baby Jesus just like everybody else. I just don't go well, around You sound like preaching. I miss the baby Jesus. I'm not, I'm not preaching. And you're mischaracterizing. I am what not I, mischaracterizing. You are trying to get off going, topic and act like you, you weren't you morbid for 30 said, minutes, which you were. I never said I was going to die in a forest. What oh I said Oh, my God. Was, I have the tape where you talked about the Native Americans okay, and how I you feel, wanted to talk to them and find out no, about I getting in touch a, with nature. Can I just, no, I think for me, and I said, if I how would you di- survive in the forest finish, without your phone? Can I finish? I said, I didn't say it wouldn't take my phone. <laughs> you know it's true. That's why you're laughing. <laughs> well, I don't know if I'm going to have any All humor the, is rooted in, in truth. Who says that all the all time. Right, now I want to finish my thought. I said that I'm not going to go off into the forest somewhere. I said that I don't want, if I get a diagnosis, prognosis, it is over. It's done. I'm finished. You got three weeks to live, six months to live, whatever it is. At the time that I feel that I am becoming a burden to my family, that I don't want them to remember me in that condition. I'd rather them remember me how I was for most of my life, which is alive and vibrant, sometimes fun, sometimes a pain in the ass, whatever they want to remember. And I said, rather than let them or have them take care of me what i'm what i am saying is i would much rather say my goodbyes while i still can talk and i don't need people putting diapers on me and then i'm going to head on out to an undisclosed location i will promise you it's not going to be a forest and it will have cell service you know what i hear when you, and I when will you say hire, all these things you know what i hear i will hire you know people what I to take care I'm of me i'm talking do you know what i hear when you talk like this what? that's what i hear like a Charlie Brown scene. I just hear nonsense. Because for 30 minutes, you were morbid and no, I was depressing. talking about all the other stuff. Okay? Now you're just trying to make it up to me. 
I'm not trying to make anything up to you. You mischaracterized purposefully what I said. Just like liberal. I assure you're acting you the, like the a audience liberal by doing with that. me. You are no. Who said uh, that's Ethan? Ethan is the biggest suck up to Linda in the that entire. Is, that room. is not true. Okay, okay. First of all, calling of all, one of us. By the way, notice you even, is the you even, biggest slow down. insult. You, for, slow down. You ju- you even take her language. First of all, first of all, I'll let Joy Behar know you're looking for a new producer. No, you're not going anywhere. It's Christmas bonus time. Who would leave now? At least you'd suck it up for till Christmas, and you get your bonus. Then you leave. Oh, Joy. Joy, yeah, go ahead. Go work Looking for Joy for a liberal Behar. to replace and me because I'm so liberal. You're going to have a lot so of fun working liberal. with her. I think mm-hmm. Linda and Joy Behar on the same show would be absolutely entertaining. Oh, and no, no, no. It would come it would to blows. It would have to be unserious because FCC it would, would never let it Yeah, air. it would. No, it would. <laughs> she got mad at Megan McCain is a very nice person. And if it's true what she said about Megan, that's ugly. Uh, apparently that big fight yesterday went behind closed doors and in the hallways of the view at right afterwards. I want to say All one right, thing so about now that, that I've clarified and and where it is, I just I would rather not be a burden to my family in the end. And I I just have an issue. I've done this for some family members. I've been a part of a team that takes care of people that cannot take care of themselves. I just happen to put away enough money that I'm not going to be in that position. And I can hire somebody that loves to do this. It's their career. They are professionals. And I won't be ruining the rest of my family's life because you put so much stress and pressure. It becomes such a burden on them. I don't want to be remembered that way. I don't want to put them through that. And there's thought and caring that has gone into this decision of mine. When the time comes that the good Lord our creator, our living God calls me home. Okay? That's what I'm saying. You're right. It's 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 you're absolutely right. I, I just happen to think that it's the circle of life for us. The to only have our other time I've mentioned it to us. you is I said, What's my And in rule? honor of that I'll 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 play the legendary song that you mentioned earlier. Well, he's a great singer. I mean Wonderful. All right, here's a question I have for you. What is the one rule that I have for the funeral? I have one rule. That I give a, a very, very good eulogy. <laughs> and I play <laughs> yeah. that song while Nobody I'm doing will understand it. it. Well, we talked a lot on the radio about coffee, and he made fun of So here's of what we really thought about you. What? That's what I would say during your eulogy. I don't give a rip. I know you Just don't. You'll be it, dead it, in the forest. No, I'll be alive in heaven looking down saying, there she goes again. You know? <laughs> and I, You'll and be I, alive <laughs> in heaven. Really? That, that's interesting. Well, that's the whole point of your soul goes to heaven. Yes. In other words, I didn't finish my thought. If you look at the majesty of creation, right? You look at the smallest little... Itsy bitsy little insect, and then you work your way up the the through nature, and then the and then you look at the sun and the stars and the clouds and the trees and the grass and, the, and gravity, and then you see that there's a moon and 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 planets, and then solar systems, and then we discover solar systems within solar systems within solar systems. Actually, within solar I, I know systems, what's going to happen when into you get to infinity. Heaven. I know exactly what's going to happen, and and I can't creation, take credit for this because this creation is, is so big we so, cannot, as human beings, ever comprehend. When you get to heaven, the majesty of God. That's Saint, my view. Saint Peter will be standing at the pearly gates, oh, and you'll say, and Saint Peter will, you know, ask. I'm you trying to have a good discussion. There. And you know what's going to happen? You say, hold on, St. Peter, my phone's ringing. I just got to text this one guy. One more second. I'm almost done with this text. And then you're going to tell you what I'm not going to care about in heaven. I don't think I'm going to care about politics. You know, that's but you raise a question. Why politics that that maybe on the on the scale of when we're on our deathbed, so important now won't matter then. You know, this old saying, I don't think on your deathbed you're going to be thinking about, oh, I should have worked harder. I should have made more money. It's 
kind of true when you hear that. But think about this. It's it's important because we know in the last century alone that 100 million human souls were destroyed by human evil and governments and forms of government and authoritarian regimes and Nazism and fascism and communism. So, yeah, America, which has been a shining city on a hill and a beacon and a light for the concept of human freedom and dignity and self-governance, that's why it matters. Because people, ultimately, the lives they're living now is important. And if you look at most people, a lot of people, majority of people, you know what? Government is not helping them in their lives. That's why the policies, just to circle back to Reagan and H.W. Bush and H.W. Bush, when they grew the economy, created 21 and a half million new jobs and the longest period of peacetime economic growth in history to that point, And they took on the evil empire and the wall came tumbling down. Not only were people prospering in their current life, but the world was safer. And it's amazing to me that we're seeing the same principles applied, a different, well, stylistically, Donald Trump is different, as every individual should be different. He's an original, and yeah, he's iconoclastic, and he picks fights, and he's more brash, and he breaks dishes, and he's a disruptor, but what he's doing is exactly what Reagan and Bush did. That's why I can never stand these never-Trumper phonies. Because they first they predicted he's really a liberal. He's hiding his liberalism. And I kept saying to people, nope, you don't know this guy. Well, what about he donated to New York liberal politicians? Because it was the only way he could get a building built in New York. That's how it works. It's, it's the only way the plumbers and the electricians and the contractors and everybody, the, the, the drywall hangers and the painters ever got work is because buildings go up. And then, yeah, he made a profit. Oh, horror of all things. And then government wanted to come in and take half of that. Governing in this world matters. You know, it's a whole premise of what Thomas Paine wrote in, in 1776 in Common Sense. Were the guides and dictates of human conscience irresistibly obeyed, there would be no need for any other lawgiver. Translation, if we were good people that always listened to God and didn't, weren't fallen, we wouldn't need a government. Government in its best state, he continues, is but a necessary evil. And in its worst state, which I explained the last century, 100 million human souls destroyed because of governments and wars and ideology and authoritarianism and Nazism, fascism, communism, and now we deal with radical Islamic threats around the world. That's why the Iranian issue matters. That's why on a national security level, taking on a little rocket man and, you know, fire and fury and my button's bigger than your button is important and why all these things matter. So in this world, it matters. In the next world, I assume that the cares of this world won't be insignificant, but we, we kind of know what the ending is anyway. But it's, do you agree with me about this one thing? I don't think human beings have the capacity to understand the, the, the full entirety and majesty of God. I, just, I, I can't comprehend it. Maybe you can because you think you're so smart.
Well, God, gonna, you know, created me in his image, so I can only live up to what he anticipated I could do. Does God curse as much as you? Listen, fornication under command of the king. It's not my problem that this fornication is the, under are you. Where did you get this answer? What well, has happened to you? I'm a special breed. <laughs> oh, anyway, I had no idea. Now you made me do it an hour. Now we've done. Now we've spent an hour. It takes a long time to explain morbidity. Senator Grassley is pressing the FBI director of the story we did last week to explain the raid on the Clinton Foundation. Guy, the whistleblower. Hmm. Testimony on the foundation probe has been postponed from the House Oversight. Something's going on there. Mueller is going to release the Flynn sentencing memo at some point tonight. This is going to be interesting, considering the FBI, even James Comey and Peter Strzok, never thought he lied. And so he had to sell his house because they were after him. And the only thing they could get him on it is a process crime, which is, oh, you lied about the investigation that we can't find you guilty of. So sign this or we're going to go after your kids. It's unbelievable. That's how we treat American heroes now. By the way, oh, emails, the National Republican uh, Campaign Committee emails. Did you see they were stolen? That's pretty interesting. They were hacked during this year's election cycle. Wonder who hacked them there. Guess we better get on the phone. Better, you know, oh, you better not say, hey, Russia, do you have those hacked emails? Because then there'll be a two hour, two year investigation just because you said who has them? Even though we already knew that other foreign intelligence services had Hillary's email. Massachusetts judge under scrutiny for possible role in immigrants escape from ICE. Well, I mean, maybe the person just needed to be arrested in the sanctuary state of California because they never hand over anybody to ICE. Unbelievable. But don't worry, Gavin Newsom is going to give free health care to anybody. Doesn't matter what your status is, legal, illegal, doesn't matter. Free health care. Doesn't matter what state you're from. You need health care. Just go out to California. Say, thank you, Gavin Newsom. That's all you need to say to the doctor and the nurse when you, when you go out there. People of California now have said, come here, free health care. They're apparently willing to pay for it. All right, Piers Morgan, O'Reilly, uh, and the story of Eddie Gallagher, a Navy SEAL. It is a scary story. All right, hour two, Sean Hannity Show, 800-941-SEAN. If you want to be a part of the program, you know, I've been chronicling how, you know, here we have all of these people that, you know, you have, you have people in the press just decimate them every single day, uh, presidents in particular. And then all of a sudden, you know, the, the people that were the meanest, the toughest, the un- most unfair person passes away. Now, all of a sudden, you know, they'll say the nicest things, but then they'll sidetrack and then they'll use characteristics that they can use about the person that just died that they never really liked anyway or never said that they liked that just the opposite. And they'll use it to go after the new guy that they hate. You know, is that it? We only get nice words when we die, not when we're actually living. Politics is is that prominent in our lives. Anyway, that's happened with John McCain more recently and, and also in the case of George Herbert Walker Bush. You know, now it's like, okay, well, at least he was nice. But Donald Trump, forget it. Let me just play just a few of the highlights of the media's nonstop, never-ending, destroy-Trump mentality. 
better be ready for the fact that he might be leading the Republican ticket next. <laughs> I know you don't believe that, but I want to go on. <laughs> Sorry, I understand why so many people voted for him. I understand where you were coming from. I understand why you liked him. I, but th this man is lying to you. Donald Trump is a president with whom there is grave question about his fitness and ability to conduct the office of the president. I'll say it again. This Russian connection just keeps building, and every time it builds and expands, you have to wonder if Trump himself isn't worried about what's swirling around under the covers. The entire world's watching, and of course, most importantly, Vladimir Putin's watching. It seemed like yesterday was his love note to Vladimir Putin. It is certainly an unusual speech, a weird speech, uh, rocket man insulting Kim Jong-un. Yes, I have thought an awful lot about blowing up the White House. Of course I want to punch him in the face. Right. <laughs> 16 tweets today to start the new year, some of them deeply disturbing. These are the messages from a person who is not well. He said he's an excellent help, but I mean, Sanjay Gupta came out and was like, uh, no, yeah, not right. so sure about well, excellent help. President Trump is goading Kim Jong-un to uh, test a nuclear missile again to uh, prove its reliability, to show him wrong. The stormy saga takes a dramatic turn as the porn star speaks out on her alleged affair with citizen Trump. Any previous president, if you'd woken up to this all-caps tweet threatening war with Iran, you'd think he probably belongs in a padded cell. But with Trump, this is kind of business as normal. All right, that I, we could literally go on an entire program here and play one more insane cut after the other and the obsession, and it's every second, every minute, every hour of every day. You know, uh, Piers Morgan joins us. He's the head of the Daily Mail UK. He's also a big TV star in, the, what's the name of your morning show, the Wake Up Morning Show you're doing? Yeah, Good Morning Britain is called. Good so can wake up in by Britain the, and you'll, by the you'll way, see my for, smiling head. <laughs> Who needs espresso when you got Piers Morgan waking you up in the morning and uh, and coming out with something that's bound to piss at least half of, of Great Britain off on any given day? <laughs> exactly, um, exactly. You, know, you wrote a piece about this, though, back in August, and it's still apropos today, how the media is playing what you described as a dangerous role, riding the lines between opinion and and fact and, you know, this poetic license that they take and jumping to conclusions and and advancing conspiracy theories with no evidence is pretty bad. And, and they all say they're journalists. I say I'm a talk show host. So um, they claim to be journalists. That's the biggest problem to me. Yeah, I, I think the problem is that there is huge money to be made from Trump bashing. It's as simple as that. And whether you're at CNN or MSNBC or you're doing one of the late night shows or you're editing The New York Times or you're a liberal celebrity who has a very liberal audience. There is a lot of money, a huge commercial imperative to be as anti-Trump as you can possibly be. And it drives their news judgment. It warps their news judgment. You know, when I'm in America, which I, I come over quite regularly, I'm staggered by just how partisan supposedly impartial news organizations have become. And the only reason they're doing it is because it's commercially beneficial. And I think that is a real problem. And it's really at the heart of, I think, Donald Trump's fury about fake news. He's not saying everything they do is fake. What he's saying is a lot of the hysteria, a lot of the ridiculous wall-to-wall 24-7 treatment of every tweet and everything he says and everything is always twisted into, you know, this, this guy is the worst guy in the world because that's what makes them money and appeals to their audience. That, in a way, when you add it all together – 
becomes fake news. It does. And I say that as a journalist who just is concerned by that. And I think that Donald Trump, if he, if he took away the tweets, and you and I have discussed before that some of his tweets are probably a little too inflammatory and he goes after too many people. And, you know, there's a side to Donald Trump where if you punch him, he'll punch you 10 times back. And maybe as president, he should just rein that back in a bit. I would like him to. But there's no doubt that he has come under more attack than any president that there's ever been. It's 90% negative. It's relentless. And if you did remove, actually, the rhetoric and the tweets from Donald Trump's administration so far, I think if this was another president, say it was George Herbert Walker Bush, who had achieved what Trump has achieved in two years, then you would have to say he's made a very successful start in many areas, both on the international but stage. The, uh, with Piers, the US I, I slightly disagree on one, that last point, and that is I, there's such an ideological divide, and you have it in your country, it's fairly common, yeah. that yeah. there will never be an acknowledgement that he does anything good. It, I would contend. Well, it might come, it might come, Sean, it might come in, you know, 25 years. Uh, no, dies, everything comes. George Bush. Listen, I, I don't think, by the way, if anyone, when I ever pass away and all the people that I know hate me, don't lie. Just say what you said when I was alive. <laughs> just, and I'm sure you would prefer will, that I honesty say, too. I, I will say, well, I will say I like you because I do like you. And <laughs> well, I think I've always liked you too. Think, now that I've gotten to know you're, you, I think you're, you're a riot. I think you're I think you're honest about what you stand for and what your opinions are. It's the ones who are doing it purely because, not because they particularly believe it, but because they know it's making them tons of money. That's where I have a problem. That's where Mm -hmm. supposedly serious news organizations, I think, have had their news judgment warped by the lust to Trump bash 24-7 and make tons of money. And I think it's a real problem. You knew Donald Trump from The Apprentice. You actually won The Apprentice in a tough year. What was your personal relationship like with him? And do you see the qualities you saw then in him now? Because one thing I think I've noticed in him, and I've known him, you know, a couple of decades now, is that I see that he has really grown into the job. Uh, I agree, and, yeah. And his growth trajectory, I've, I think, and I'm, I think I'm being objective, is, yeah. has been fairly phenomenal. He's, yeah, he's... and actually, I think, funny enough, even in the last 48 hours, I think the way that he's responded to George Bush's death has been really interesting. You know, everyone knows they didn't get on. Everyone knows that Donald Trump's been feuding with the Bushes uh, ever since he ran for president. In fact, before that, I've interviewed him in the past where he's been very critical of George W. Bush and his presidency. He then went after Jeb Bush, obviously, low-energy Jeb and so on. And we know that, uh, you know, George H.W. Bush was no fan of Trump and, in fact, voted for Hillary Clinton. So the, the normal Donald Trump response would have been rather like his response to John McCain's death, pretty scathing and probably not engaged at all. In fact, he's gone very presidential in the way that many people would like him to be at moments like this. And I'm actually glad to see that, Sean, because the Trump that I knew from Celebrity Apprentice and have known really since then for 12 years has a very warm and decent and charming side to him. I think for whatever reason, and I understand some of the reasons, He's hidden that away uh, as president, as a candidate. He's preferred to be on the front foot, punching away, being very aggressive, being very tough, taking no nonsense. But I do think since the midterms, I've noticed a slight pivot in him where uh, I think, for example, over the California fires, his immediate gut response was to go on the attack blaming people. And actually, all he had to do was the easy bit of being president, just be there for the people who were burning to death. Have the debate about forests and so on later, but just in that moment, be presidential. 
And there are moments when you just need to do that. And I think over the and death of George Herbert Walker Bush, he's been presidential. Yeah, and he did do it. And I think that, that, you know, I think he is, as you say, he's learning and evolving on the job. I think he's getting better at the job. I think he gets a very unfair rap. I'm, I, I like him very much personally. He's been very loyal to me over the years, gone out of his way to be loyal to me. And I think a lot of what he's been doing, whether it's standing up to uh, Iran whether it's standing up to China over trade, which has been a disgraceful situation for decades involving uh, America's trade relationship with the Chinese, whether it's uh, forging a peace with North Korea, whether it's demanding that NATO members pay their their due. I, I think there are lots of things he's doing which are very interesting, very unusual for an American president. And actually, he's right. So you know, I think that he gets a completely skewed and relentlessly negative treatment from much of the media, which bears little relation to the reality. A lot of it is because he's very abrasive and combative with them. Uh, But if you look at him objectively, I think you would have to say after two years, Trump is delivering on many of the things he promised he'd do. And whether you agree with that or not, you have to accept he's probably achieved more in two years than most presidents have ever achieved in their first two years. I think that it's a blessing and a curse scenario because he's I I would view or describe him as a disruptor. And he is somebody that has literally shaken the bureaucracy, what I would often refer to as the deep state to its core. And it needed it. You know, Republicans, I look, I'm not a Republican. I'm a conservative. A lot of people think I'm a Republican because I usually end up supporting the Republican president because I don't believe in socialism. And that represents the modern Democratic Party. But I would say he is a disruptor. He is somebody that when he goes in to negotiate, he goes in hard. He telegraphed all of these strategies in the art of the deal. And be it NATO, you know, saying that America shouldn't pay 72 cents of every dollar and Angela Merkel ought not be helping to make Putin and Russia rich again by making, Mm -hmm. you know, energy deals with them. He was right about that. He's so he's getting better trade deals with our European allies, with Canada and Mexico. Uh, we now have progress being made with China. And, yeah, you're right on the Iranian deal, North Korea. Mm-hmm. He, he's a force. He is a force that has to be yeah, dealt he's, with. Yeah, he's a, he's, a, he's a wrecking ball, isn't he? He's a, he's a, he's yeah, but in a good way, I think. Yeah. Well, I think in many ways in a good way. And I, I think that he is. it has been really interesting to me to watch him in the last two days. I really think he's reacted in a way that he wouldn't instinctively have reacted to the death of George H.W. Bush, right round to giving him uh, giving the plane to you know, going down there and paying respects to, and I think the Bush family, to, to their credit, have invited him, and I think that is that is good to see. You know, we do at some stage, I think, in America, Sean, there needs to be a coming together, right? There needs to be a move by one side, and it can be very intransigent. Both sides get very stuck in their ways, very partisan, and say it's their fault, it's my, you know, and so on. But people say this, but let me ask you the practicality of that. When, you know, either you you believe in secure borders or you believe in eliminating borders and and getting rid of ICE. Either you believe in lower taxes, less bureaucracy, or or you want to redistribute the wealth. Again, you know, you either believe in a philosophy that would drop $150 billion in cash and other currency on the tarmac in Iran for the mullahs that chant death to America or you put in the trade sanctions that's going to that's absolutely going to squeeze their economy so tight that they're yep. capable of being of a collapse from within. I don't know how you reconcile what is what are the differences? Well, hang on one second. We got a break more with Piers Morgan. He, if you're just joining us, he is the head of the uh, Daily Mail UK. 
Also hosts Wake Up uh, Great Britain, um, which is the number one rated show in the mornings there. And as we continue, Piers Morgan is with us. He is the head of the uh, Daily Mail UK. Um, we left off. How, how does America re- reconcile a modern democratic party that, from my perspective, and, and it's not it's very similar to what you see in Britain. And that is you have labor. Right. Yep. And yep. then you, you've got a conservative movement, a conservative party. And, and they're torn completely apart over an issue like Brexit. But here's, right. Here's what I would What's going to happen with that? Here's, well, I think it's, it's very intractable. It's a total mess. And both sides have dug into positions where there's no point of agreement. And that's a very similar to what we see over Trump in America. But I do think that what, what is incumbent on everyone in America is to try and find points of agreement. And, and where they can find it is where you stop the hypocrisy. And this is my real issue about the way that Trump is treated by certainly by many Democrats and many liberal celebrities. They are rankly hypocritical. Take, for example, the issue of illegal immigration, right? Obama was known as the deporter in chief. He deported over three million illegal immigrants from America, an all time record by any president. And yet you ask any liberal in America or in Britain if they know how many people he deported. They haven't got a clue. They weren't interested. They didn't care. They had no thought, actually, for what he was doing. And, you know, there may be very good reasons for every deportation he did. But let's not pretend that somehow Barack Obama was not very, very tough on illegal immigration because he was. And I think that that's where surely an honest broker on the Democrat side could say, you know what? Actually, we agree with a lot of what he sounded like Donald Trump back in the day, to be blunt. I play that. Yeah, as, but, but, as did but Hillary Clinton. Name, yeah. And by the as way, did Hillary Clinton, as did Bill Clinton. They all, all of they've, them. All, they've all talked up on this. And so this idea that somehow it's just Trump who's being tough. You know, there was actually an incident, I'm sure you covered this, in 2013 at the very same border point involving uh, 100 migrants storming the border and being repelled with a form of tear gas. Uh, the pepper spray and tear gas. Yeah, well, right. I, I, mean, I think I'm the only <laughs> person to report that, uh, bes- I know that even besides you. Uh, Piers, always a pleasure. We really appreciate you being with us. Thanks, um, uh, love to have you on any time you're available. And uh, wish right. you a Merry Christmas and a, and a great holiday season for you and your family. And you, Sean. All the very best. Thanks for having me. You bet. Thank you, sir. Can you explain how you were supposed to be the... Uh, you are. You're an anti-terrorist expert. We Iran was officially a terrorist state. You went I around telling... I that, Dan. You, I wanted those... But I, I wanted Mr. Buckley question is, out of there. But... Before you you made us hypocrites in the face of the killed. world. The president also got a chance to see a supermarket checkout scanner in action. Kind of seemed as though we'd never really seen one of those before, yeah, and the president said that he was amazed. The Bush campaign's really been a model in how you elect somebody who, who even his friends think is a weak national candidate. We find it's very steady work keeping up with uh, Bush's lies. They do keep coming very thick and fast. Lying is something that comes to him alarmingly easily. Um, it's mm-hmm. something that he resorts to with... I think a slightly worrying sort of uh, skill. Hi there, I'm Stephanie Rule. Clearly a little broken up. Breaking that pledge showed the character and resolve of the man to do what he was persuaded was the right thing to do economically, even though he knew at the time that it might guarantee that he'd be a one-term president. We are mourning something greater than one man in some ways. We are mourning an ideal because uh, President George H.W. Bush was the last of the greatest generation. Such respect for the position, the institution of the presidency. But what a, what a special person, what a patriot, what a person of service to this country uh, and of just incredible decency.
volunteering to serve in World War II as, an, as I was going on to serve as an ambassador, CIA director, uh, congressman, vice president, president, a whole life of public service. Donald Trump has been a life of service to himself. They both believe that the presidency is bigger than themselves, which is not something that that this president always adheres to. But I think this is also a uh, 24 hours of nostalgia about what leadership used to look like in this country. There's a great clip from 1980 mm -hmm. uh, when George H.W. Bush uh, is challenged on his how tough he is. Mm -hmm. And he talks about toughness is about having values and standing for them being principles. Toughness is not attacking. He understood that the press wasn't the enemy of the people and even said basically at the end of the day, we're all in this together, and I will be here for you just like I know you would be here for me. What a remarkable difference between 1988 and 2018. As a candidate, he said, those who think we're powerless to do anything about the greenhouse effect are forgetting about the White House effect. And then he signed into law the Clean Air Act Amendment of 1990, one of the most sweeping environmental yeah. statutes ever. Yeah. This president that we have now is trying to unravel everything that he did and Obama did. And Can the we fact focus that on the president, yeah. please? I, you know, I, just, I don't want to talk about Trump. Once, well, when I do we're, in the moment so of, excuse, we're honoring a great uh, president me a second, past. please. I, I want to talk about the we're different... honoring, but I'm not interested in your one issue. I don't care what you're interested in. I'm talking. Well, I don't care you what you're what? interested in we'll either. We'll be right back. Oh, boy, let's stop that before it gets any worse. Uh, apparently, behind the scenes, according to one of the New York tabloids this morning, it was really ugly, and Joy Behar reported to really go after Meghan McCain and say she can't take it anymore. She's thinking of quitting. Used a word that begins with a B, according to those reports. Uh, glad you're with us. 24 now till the top of the hour. 800-941-SEAN if you want to be a part of the program. Uh, you know, it's amazing. It's a phenomenon now. You know, the very people, the party referred to George Herbert Walker Bush as a wimp. He doesn't know how to use a grocery store scanner. How could anybody be that out of touch? Uh, committing crimes and accusations of crimes, Iran-Contra. Uh, how dare he pardon individuals in, in, involved or caught up in an attempt to save Americans and no talk or discussion at the time of how great the Reagan Bush economic and foreign policy record happened to be 21 million new jobs created longest period of peacetime eco economic growth uh, Gorbachev the wall comes tumbling down with George H.W. Bush as president but the phenomenon of oh just absolutely destroy somebody say everything you want to say about them Every mean thing you can while they're alive, and then when they die, well, you try to create the veneer or put a veneer on of bipartisanship and say nice things. Oh, and then use him to bludgeon the current guy, in this case, Donald Trump. Uh, Bill O'Reilly is with us. You've interviewed all these presidents, including Obama. That's something I never got to do. And so you have a perspective unlike a lot of other people. Do you agree with my analysis, John McCain, Ronald Reagan, George H.W. Bush is treated one way in life and then bludgeoned, uh, uh, you know, then praised when they die. But not a nice thing was ever said before. Yeah, I mean, I think we can focus in on McCain and, uh, and uh, Bush the Elder because that's very recent. You know, last night on uh, BillOReilly.com, where I do analysis every evening, I read the two letters that uh, President Bush the Elder sent me um, with the caveat that I was not to make them public until he passed. And one of them is about press bias. 
And this was written to me on December 8, 2007. I'm just going to quote a paragraph. He goes, Dear Bill, first I agree with you about national press bias. There are, of course, exceptions, but for the most part, I think there's clear favoritism for the liberals and for the Democrats. Of course, I may be biased because some, like the New York Times, they are the worst. Mercilessly hammer the president, my son, all the time, and I don't like it. You ask about 88, 92. I felt I got much fairer treatment in 88 than in 92. I don't recall any advice on dealing with the press from my friend Ronald Reagan. And he goes on that he wasn't treated fairly and neither was his son. But now, um, in an effort, and it's pretty transparent, to diminish President Trump, they're saying good things about Bush, like, well, we didn't really like him then, but at least he was civil, and now look what we have. Um, interesting on the Behar front, as you know, uh, when I was on The View a few years ago, Behar and Whoopi Goldberg walked off the show. By the way, that was, was one of the, that was one of the greatest moments in The View's history. <laughs> which was great for me. I just took the oh, no. show over. I thought Barbara Walters was going to have a heart attack. But I think, I think Behar may leave that show, may, may quit, because she's basically now descended into the world of hatred. She's not a pundit. She's not a comedian. She's not a hostess. She's a hater. And um, I think that, you know, Megan McCain um, called her out pretty effectively and said, listen, we're here to talk about a great man, President Bush the Elder, and all you want to do is use his passing to bash Donald Trump. And I, I don't want to sit for it. I don't want to hear it. That was pretty strong for Megan McCain. And, and Behar had no comeback other than, well, I want to talk about this. You know, it was like everybody going, you know what? Enough. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Whoopi Goldberg, who I happen to like. Uh, yeah, I do, too. She's not she's, in the same. No, I mean. She just, uh, she just got out of there. She, you can yeah. see. The no, no. I will take a quick break. Yeah. Quick. Not a break. Right. Get out. <laughs> she knew that, that Armageddon was about to happen. Yeah. But look, I don't watch that show. Neither do you. Neither, and nobody listens to us watches it. It's just clips on the Internet that we see. It's it's a hate fest now. Uh, it's it, well, you know, it's amazing, too. And a lot of people don't know this. You're like a savant when it comes to television numbers and ratings. And um, I, I don't have the knowledge and ratings and analysis in my mind that you do. And uh, what one thing that surprises people when I was having that big fight with Jimmy Kimmel, a Twitter fight, my last one, I kind of put it away after that. And he ended up apologizing because I was hitting him so hard. But, you know, Howard Stern, I heard him comment on it. He was being fair and he's best friends with Jimmy Kimmel. And I'm fine with that. But he said, uh, why is Kimmel responding to Hannity, a cable guy? Probably Hannity wants to be on the broadcast. And I'm like, my ratings are twice as high as his. What yeah, are you, you talking about? Twice as many men with radio. It's three times. Well, Kimmel lost that, and, and, and it's not about ideology. It, it's about, look, Americans, when they, when they are listening to a media person, no matter who it is, they will tolerate an enormous amount of BS, but they don't want you to be unfair. That is the real, if you look at the cable news ratings, the, the people who succeed over time, they might be conservative, they might be liberal, but they're genuinely perceived as being fair. It's the haters who go down mm -hmm. in flames. And Kimmel came across as nasty. And, you know, I know Kimmel. And that was to the first lady. Long time. Yeah. And, he, you know, in person. Do you like him? I mean, is he a good guy? I don't know the guy. I, I like him. I have to say I like him. But I thought, I think what's happened to him, and now 
His, Colbert. He's, yeah. Yeah, he's running third uh, and late night. And all their numbers have collapsed, by the way. You, on a daily basis on FNC, beat all of them. Okay, so late night's not what it used to be. But, but the what, networks what aren't built. My point is that these networks, daytime, get nothing. It's, it's, no, I, it's I'm looking changing, at the numbers. It's a changing world, that's for sure. No. But Kimmel lost because it was perceived by the regular people that he was basically being nasty, unnecessarily nasty. So Melania. you to play that game, you're only mm. going to get the ideologues, and it's not enough late night. And that, that, honestly, the only reason I engaged, I thought it was so over the line, cruel, mean, mean and Melania was just reading a book to children. Right. And he just was and mocking her. That, and, absolutely. They don't want, they, the American public, don't want Melania Trump dragged into this mess and mm -hmm. disparaged. I've always said, people ask me, well, is there anything about Obama you like? And I'm like, well, yeah, I think he seems like a really good dad. I think he's wrong. Um, I, I vehemently disagree with his policies, but he seems to have a nice demeanor about him at times. He he had a very powerful presence on the campaign trail. Looking back now, there was John McCain, and he didn't have a shot in 2008. What did you think of him? Okay. I spent some time with him, and I saw Michelle Obama be very kind to people while she didn't even know I was watching her. And she was very kind to my daughter, my young daughter at the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, President Obama himself is not a hater. Um, he is a true believer. How he sees the world is different from how you see it and how I see it. But he doesn't hate us. And when my interactions with him were always respectful, we found common ground on the uh, Brothers Keeper situation, mentoring inner city black males. And I helped him a lot on that. And he was very respectful to me. I have no beef at all about Barack Obama, the man. And on policy, we gave him eight years. We, the country, gave him eight years. Yeah, it didn't turn out well. No. Economically and foreign policy-wise, it did not. Wow. However, he respected the office. The White House ran effectively. It's just that the policies did not work. You and know, it, politics. It, you know, you and I, you're more, um, I am a conservative, and people often say, well, why are you a conservative? And, for example, we're talking about George H.W. Bush and the Reagan years, and Reagan was decimated by the media, as was 41 and 43, as is now 45, because they're so left-wing in their abusive and biased nature, and et cetera. But the reason is simple, Bill, is that we went from adding 13 million Americans in the Obama years to food stamps and 8 million more Americans in poverty and the lowest labor participation rate. Now we have a million more jobs available than people are on unemployment. We created four and a half million new jobs, 400,000 in manufacturing alone, which Obama said weren't coming back. And, you know, you add to that 8 million Americans out of poverty and off of food stamps. And Trump's been president less than two years. And for me, Anybody that's in politics ought to be serving. You used to call them the folks. I'm, they need to serve. I call them the forgotten men and women that deserve freedom and hope and opportunity and a ladder to success. Honey, what are you doing? I mean, you're actually citing facts. That's not what it's all about. It's all about emotion. It's all about emotion. How dare I cite a fact, O'Reilly? What's up with that's that? Right, that's <laughs> no. right. So the conservative, traditional American 
uh, tends to be self-reliant. You would agree with that, right? Agree. It tends to see the world as a place that has to be challenged. You have to work mm-hmm. hard. You have to obey the rules, get educated. And you and better pay you taxes. Shot. Yeah. You got to shot to succeed. The liberal mind isn't like that. Let me, I gotta, is, I gotta run, and I'm not trying to cut you short here. No, um, I understand. These, I understand. these two we'll letters, get, we'll, we'll they, these two, I want to ask you a question. These two letters you have, are you posting yeah. them on your website? Yeah, you I'm said, gonna post them on a website tonight on BillOReilly.com. I also mm-hmm. have a, a letter he wrote about Dan Rather. He doesn't like Dan. Uh, I, showed, like. I showed that last <laughs> night. That was a great moment for George H. W. Bush. I know. All right, Bill O'Reilly's really book is called. You me in, Sean. Very uh, kind thank of you. you appreciate it. you. Now, will you please take back that slot, please? Uh, you know, you let us down. You let, the, you let the folks down, Bill. Come on. We'll be number one again. We'll storm it. All right. The book is called Killing the SS. Uh, bookstores everywhere. Amazon.com. We have a link on our website, Hannity.com. And uh, uh, you're going to enjoy it. It's really fascinating. It's part of the killing series that Bill has uh, been doing. Brother represents what is best about this country. He fulfilled a family tradition that we have of joining the service, like his father and uncles and grandparents. Uh, enlisted at a high school and became a medic, then a Marine Scout sniper, and then a Navy SEAL, which he's been for 14 years. He's been on eight combat tours, like you mentioned, racking up accolade after accolade. I mean, if you were to literally create or imagine what a modern-day war hero would be, it'd be Eddie. Uh, now, he's just like any other special operator. He's humble. He would say that I'm just like the rest of the guys, but even among his peers, he stands out. So my brother was in charge of his platoon. Trump and the president tasked him with almost the impossible to clear out ISIS from Mosul. Mm-hmm. They're deeply embedded. There is intense weeks of heavy firefighting, of combat, of the gruelest caliber. You know, my brother's called me on every single one of his eight combat deployments, every single one. And hardly has he described an enemy as cruel and as violent and as just disgusting as ISIS. And so in this incident in question, and I want to state from the beginning that everything that's been said is, and if I can use this phrase, it's fake news in a way. It's just complete fabrication. It's rumor. And what happened is that these rumors grew and then snowballed where investigators took them and believed them at mm-hmm. face value. And so for a year now, our family has finally been able to get the truth out. At, at this moment in time, we've been silent for a year, and so finally we're fighting back. So in, th- in this incident that you mentioned, quite literally the, the, the accusation is that a wounded ISIS fighter that he and his platoon were working on that was already shot in the leg, a severed artery. They had been in a building that Iraqi special forces had shelled. They brought him into the SEAL compound. They're treating him, and then he expires. And the the accusation against my brother is that this already dying fighter, my brother killed, which did not happen, but is insane just at the outset, right, that a U.S. Navy SEAL trained to fight the enemy brings in a wounded guy to save him so that they can interrogate him. And they say, oh, he killed him. And now my brother is facing, quite literally, life in prison without the possibility of parole. JusticeForEddie.com is a site that we have set up for my brother. You can donate. But the one thing that we're asking most folks to do is we're really thankful at this time in history that we have a president that we're hoping can come to our assistance that would look at the grievous nature of his treatment, of the abuse of power by NCIS and prosecutors, and come to our aid. JusticeForEddie.com. All right. This is a long story that we really want to get into some details here um, about a Navy SEAL. Those were the words of Sean Gallagher that we're talking about a a story involving his brother, um, as he wrote in an article that earlier this year, due to a mixture of ego, careerism, incompetence, what started out as the grumblings of a few disgruntled junior SEALs has now turned into insane allegations of war crimes. Our family is now fighting back 
uh, fighting the battle of our lives, pushing back against an onslaught of falsehoods and a pack of government lawyers hell-bent on taking down a Navy SEAL. Now, what does this story have to deal with? Well, let's go straight to the source. Uh, Sean Gallagher uh, joins us, as well as uh, former Navy SEAL himself, our friend Jonathan Gillum, and to talk about the treatment of Sean's brother, Eddie, and uh, I think it needs serious media attention, as there are a lot of issues here that come into play that I find very disturbing. Uh, thank you both for being with us, Sean. First of all, I, I understand that your brother Eddie's best friend was Aaron Vaughn, who was killed, and I know his, his parents, Karen and Billy. Is that true? Yes, sir, yeah. So Aaron and my brother uh, were best friends, pretty much, uh, in the SEAL teams. Uh, I... Um, I told Karen this, and she's been very kind to our family. She's a wonderful person. And, you know, I I visit Aaron's grave every chance I get, particularly before my brother deploys to ask him to protect my brother. So they were they were really, really close friends. My brother wears a bracelet with his name on it. So the Vaughn family, are they're true patriots and true heroes to us. So let's start on his last deploy, deployment in Mosul. How many deployments had he had? Eddie, so this, this last deployment last year in 2017 was his eighth combat deployment. You know, my brother has gone mm-hmm. to war for us since 2003, since the initial invasion. This is actually his second time back to Mosul. Uh, he has fought every enemy that we've had. He's fought al-Qaeda, he's fought the Taliban, and then last year President Trump tasked him to annihilate ISIS from the city of Mosul. All right, so he went back on the orders of the president, Secretary Mattis, and he was— he and his platoon were their task was to clear ISIS from that Iraqi city. Correct. Let's let's take it from there. What he did and what happened. Sure. So he's he's out there. There is intense, as you can imagine, intense weeks and months of combat. As you played in the clip that that I had out on Fox and Friends, and like I said, you know, my brother's called me every single time he's ever deployed, um, and we have some some long conversations, some short ones, and I could just tell this one took a toll. In terms of he was just so aghast at the the, the gruesome nature of the enemy that he was fighting. I mean, they are the worst forms uh, of enemy that we've had. They're just inhuman in a way. And so he was challenged to—they're deeply embedded in this city. They're using humans as shields. And so this asymmetrical warfare that they're in is is very tough. They have to advance in this urban setting uh, where these guys are entranced all over the place. And so— He's taking him and his platoon, and he's in charge of it. Uh, Eddie's a chief at this point, so he's leading his platoon uh, to take the fight to the enemy. And in this one instance, uh, there was a group of around, they said, 20 to 30 or maybe 40 ISIS fighters in the compound. Uh, U.S. and Iraqi forces had how, shelled. How many members in his platoon? So platoon is how many a mem- little over 20. And his platoon, a little over 20. They shell this compound. Uh, all of the ISIS fighters five but one, and the one that... that uh, survived, was very badly wounded. Uh, there's actually video that you can watch. It was put on YouTube by Iraqi journalists uh, of this ISIS fighter uh, who's around 17 years old. He can barely speak. Uh, he has a severed artery in his leg. The Iraqis that, that captured him had said that he had some bullet wounds in him. Uh, and so what they did is they brought him to the SEAL compound that my brother and his platoon were at uh, for the main purpose of saving him, uh, to applying medical treatment so that they could save him and then interrogate him. And so my brother is, in, in addition to being a sniper and a Navy SEAL, he's a corpsman, he's a medic. And so he and a couple other guys were actually working to keep this fighter alive so that they could interrogate him at a later date. So he's involved in this huge fight. His life is on the line. It's his eighth deployment. And a, a little bit of a mutiny begins within some of the younger SEAL members that were 
part of this platoon. What happened with that, and where did it go from there? Sure. So, again, Eddie's been on eight deployments. As, as a seasoned veteran in combat, as, as you basically can get in the teams. Um, and when you're in that position, you push your men hard. You know, if you talk to a lot of these guys that lead platoons, uh, their job really is to motivate and to direct their men uh, into the best strategy and the best kind of, uh, they call it like a war pace, a tempo as possible. And Eddie is a very hard charger. And the strategy there, in a lot of senses, is because the enemy is so embedded, the difficulty is to find out where they are, to get them to fire so that you find out their location. You know, Eddie's doing this in various ways. Uh, he's, he's moving the platoon around so that they can see if the enemy fires and then they know where they are so they can engage them. There were a couple guys in his platoon that had not seen combat at all and were a bit unprepared for this. And there was a small little mutiny begins, kind of this whisper campaign about, oh, you know, my brother's putting them in too much danger. He's, he's being reckless. When, as a matter of fact, the strategy that he is using is something that they teach in SEAL tactics. It's something that my brother actually would have been right now teaching incoming platoons on how to do. Because at this point, he's a very experienced operator. And so basically, these guys, not, not you know, being experienced, being unaware of how this whole thing happens and operates, start to think, oh, we're being put in danger and they're fearful. Uh, and they start this whisper campaign that they have a bad leader. My brother then hears about it. And there's an instance where he just, he did what he thought was right. He called them out on it. Uh, he said that they weren't prepared and that they shouldn't be in the teams that this is the kind of action that they're going to do. I mean, the Navy SEALs, in their essence, are warriors. They are warrior elites. This is what we train them to do, what we ask them to do. And something that my brother, quite frankly, feels that it is in his power, his duty to do, is take the fight to the enemy to clear out the gruesome people like ISIS. And so, All right, but he publicly, he, uh, but just to, I want to make sure you get the whole, so he publicly reprimanded those people because he views the SEALs as, you know, that, that they are the, our last line of defense. If they can't do it, nobody can. Precisely. Um, they believe Okay, did that, that become a... All right, let's go from there. So what happens? So you have a little bit of a rebellion. They feel like they're being pushed too hard. There's a public reprimand. Then what happens? So there's a public reprimand, and then my brother later on welcomes them back into the platoon and says, okay, look, after this, you guys should have learned your lesson by now. This is how the rest of the platoon is going to go. This is how the rest of our deployment is going to go. Uh, and they finish off the deployment at the end of 2017. They all come home. And then months later, months later, my brother is notified that he's being investigated for actions taken a summer before where it wasn't reported at the time. It wasn't reported right when we got back. It was these ruminations um, in, a, in a vindictive nature of sort of these guys who never got over being reprimanded, who never got over being told that they were wrong, who never got over being scolded for not being able to take the fight to the enemy, concocted these stories and found an audience, found a willing an audience in NCIS, these investigators, who thought nothing was better than to be able to take fabrications and run with it. And then and earlier this year, our family is, in, is notified that Eddie's being investigated. And, you know, something that I said before, we were a bit naive uh, when this first all began because we thought at first the accusations quite literally were laughable, that there were such discrepancies in the descriptions of what was being alleged against my brother there was an incident in question, and I can get into the details of this if you like, that there were so many witnesses present that it would be impossible for someone to say that Eddie did the thing that he was alleged to have done. And so we were like, Is this no the part about name. the 17-year-old kid that was barely alive? Yes. And so it was one of those things where my brother said, 
you know, so the accusation, again, is that there's already dying ISIS fighter that my brother is, is working to save. They put a crike in his neck. They, they're trying to save this guy so that they can interrogate him later. He, he dies from the wounds that he just sustained, you know, moments earlier from being in a compound that was shelled. Again, he, you can see video of this. This ISIS fighter is already half dead. And so him and a couple or another medic are working on him. He expires. And the allegation is that my brother helped him expire sooner than he did. And he's quite literally now facing life in jail because oh of that. The insanity, of, the insanity of that premise struck our family so hard. We thought that there's no way, there's no way that the special warfare community, there's no way that the military justice system, there's no way that his command would take anything like this seriously. But instead, are there are there people within his platoon making that allegation? So these are yeah, there there are a small group of of these guys who were publicly reprimanded. And because of that reprimand and because of that scolding that they got, uh, concocted the story that Eddie helped this already dying ISIS fighter die. All right. Are there uh, people, because, are, there, are there witnesses that contradict that on your brother's side? Absolutely. There actually are multiple, multiple witnesses, men who served with my brother and, and were in this room. Uh, that will Eyewitnesses. Say I was there. So he has eyewitnesses that are saying just the opposite happened and he tried to save this guy's life. And then you have a couple of people that had previously been disgruntled that got reprimanded and in trouble themselves. They are, it's sort of like, it's almost identical to, well, if maybe they're getting an easier sentence if they testify against your brother. Sounds like to me, is that, has that happened? Yeah. I mean, the, the, the reason for this, so my brother's coming up on his retirement. He, he's coming up on 20 years in the service, 14 years in the seals. These guys figure hey, if I say this stuff about him, he'll be investigated. He can't ruin my career in the interim. I'll skate away scot-free while Eddie is being looked into, and then he retires, and then we're all done, and therefore I don't have to worry about this. There's part of our family that thought that these guys never thought it would go this far, making up these rumors would ever carry the serious consequences and the weight and the full-fledged investigation and all of this stuff. But instead, the quite opposite happened, where it has now snowballed to this preposterous degree where my brother – right now, without even the ability to defend himself, is in jail. All right, let me bring in Jonathan Gillum here. All right, I'll tell you, why don't we take a break here? We'll come back uh, more with Sean Gallagher. Um, A lot to digest from what's happening in this case. And uh, we'll get Jonathan Gillum's take on it as well. 800-941-SEAN. We will get to some calls in our final half hour today. Uh, And we want to get to the bottom of this. And uh, if somebody is being unjustly, a Navy SEAL who's been on eight deployments, is being treated unfairly, uh, we can't have that. And we've had it happen in the past. That's why it makes me nervous. Quick break. Right back. 800-941-SEAN. Toll-free telephone number. All right, 25 now until the top of the hour, 800-941-SEAN, toll-free telephone number. Uh, we are talking about the case. It's a military case. Navy SEAL Eddie Gallagher, one that I think needs a lot of attention, and it has to do with him being sent now on his eighth tour of duty to Mosul and and the, the mandate by Secretary of Defense Mattis, and the president was clear that he and his platoon – were to clear ISIS from that Iraqi city, which, by the way, we now know they have succeeded in. Now, in the course of what is a very difficult deployment, again, his eighth, um, at some point, newer SEALs have some problems with Eddie's leadership in the platoon and are publicly reprimanded by him. They have an incident where they're in a firefight with ISIS fighters, and they're winning that fight. 
and all of the ISIS fighters died, but one who was severely wounded and half dead. And we have apparently two Navy SEALs, newer members that were upset with Eddie because of the reprimand, and then a bunch of other Navy SEALs saying just the opposite, that he actually was doing everything possible to save the life of this ISIS fighter. Well, at the end of the day, he turned out he was under investigation after returning home. And uh, after all of that, you see reports, et cetera, a small group made some of the most outrageous claims. And that's where we are today. And Jonathan Gillum, maybe you can fill in some of the gaps here. Well, Sean, there's just a tremendous amount of gaps. I mean, first and foremost, let's just take, you know, having been an FBI agent, right, and having uh, dealt with, uh, with preliminary investigations and then full investigations, and how we get to that point. Now, NCIS may have their different lingo, but here's the case. When you have basically testimony, that's what this whole thing hinges on is testimony. And you have this testimony from a couple of people saying that somebody did something, and then from a whole bunch of other people, including Iraqis, saying that uh, this never occurred. One one of the individuals was an Iraqi general. Um, you have to weigh this uh, testimony in order to take the, uh, the the complaint before a judge, uh, or in the, this case, the JAG, in order to get a warrant to go arrest somebody. When we look at the entire case, at the way that uh, this came from the war zone and the way that it's been pushed through, what we see is something that's being repeated over and over again in the DOD and in the civilian world, and that is guilty until proven innocent. And in this case, what we're looking at here is an individual, Eddie Gallagher, who uh, is a medic also. I don't know if most people realize that. He's a medic. And they had been, what I was told, was 50 ISIS fighters. They're in a firefight. They kill all but one. And that guy is severely wounded. After he is drugged through the street and other things, Iraqis bring him to the compound. And Eddie and another SEAL corpsman work to save his life. They put a trach which is a tracheotomy where they cut open the throat so that he can breathe and they treat a sucking chest wound and some other things. But at that point, the guy's unresponsive. Now, why would an individual that just saved somebody's life so they could potentially interview him, turn around and then kill him? It makes no sense whatsoever. But Sean, regardless of what actually did happen, my question is, what are we doing in war now? What are we doing with the men that are on the front line, the men that we send out there to be the dirty guys, to do the job that nobody else is even capable of doing, which is taking 19 guys and standing up against 50 guys, sometimes even upwards of 250 or more fighters, and eliminating them. And now we're putting rules on the warfare aspect and the ethics of war, saying we're going to train you to be killers, but you can't be too much of a killer. And then we have prosecutors like Commander uh, Christopher Zaplik, that's the guy who's running this whole prosecution against Eddie, that goes and says something in public, which he knows is going to be, uh, it's going to be in the papers. And he says that the SEAL Platoon Alpha uh, signed up to protect America. This is what he's saying. And he said that that Eddie handed ISIS a propaganda manna from heaven. Now, this is this guy, uh, although he's, a, he's never been in combat, he is a, a, a Navy officer, he's a commander, and he's a JAG officer, and he's making statements like that that themselves embolden ISIS 
and our enemies to use this type of stuff for propaganda. They arrest Eddie on 9-11. What kind of symbology does that send? A day when the same ideology took down two buildings and killed you know, thousands of Americans. What, I, I cannot wrap my head around what is happening in the DOD and in the civilian world where we are going after and convicting people because we want to make our career or because maybe our ideology doesn't uh, reflect with the certain individuals. And they're hammering the very people that we send out to defend this country from those killers. And we're saying it's premeditated murder right after they got in a fight with 50 ISIS uh, five killers. It, it sounds so similar to the Clinton Lawrence case that I know you followed as we, right, you know, talked about so much. Uh, you know, when he, he takes over a platoon and all of a sudden, you know, you have these suicide bombers that had, literally just before he'd taken over the platoon, they were hit with suicide bombers on motorcycles. These guys disobey the command to stop. And they're coming right at the platoon of Clint Lawrence, and he has to make a split-second decision, is that a, a bomber or not? And then there was actually new evidence that he's having a hard time getting introduced that actually had the fingerprints of these very people on IEDs. And, and still they put him in jail for, what, 30 years? But, Sean, I don't, I don't think that these prosecutors, from the evidence that I've seen, are really concerned with evidence. They're concerned with creating an image of what their opinion is of the case. And that's not the way our judicial system works. You are either proven guilty or you are, or you are not proven guilty. And in the cases, what they do here is that they are taking uh, what little evidence they have and they're manipulating it like rumors of pictures and these things to give a false impression of major guilt. And I, it, when we're looking, the danger of this, Sean, let's just cut to the chase on this. Warfare is a dirty business. Warfare it involves killing. And the American public is so risk averse now. And when they see and hear about these things, they're so mortified because they don't realize the reality of war. These are enemies that want to kill us. They don't just want to kill us. They want to eliminate us. And yet we are going out and sending people out there and keeping a, a leash on them as though they were a dog and not allowing our fighters to do their job and then politicizing it. And I, from Trump down, the way President Trump has been railroaded is very similar to this. Guilty until proven innocent. The media goes after and destroys credibility. It's the same thing here. These, I can guarantee you, Sean, if stuff gets leaked to the press about pictures and things like this, it's going to be because the NCIS and because this uh, commander, Zaplik, wanted these things leaked so that they can ruin the credibility of Eddie. So how many eyewitnesses do we have that are defending Eddie from these charges versus apparently some people that did have an axe to grind with him, according to Sean, who's still with us, Sean Gallagher, his brother. Jonathan, I mean, how many how many witnesses on both sides of this are we talking about? Strategy here is not, not to reveal too much, because I think that in some senses we're holding on to how many that we have, given the fact that we're going to go to trial. Um, given that this whole charade is actually going to take place, we're keeping that to the chest because we know that that's one of the benefits that we have, that we have statements from multiple, multiple people that will say that I was there with Eddie, that this never happened. We know these guys that are making these things up. Um, we know why they're doing it. Um, but I can say verifiably that we have quite a few that are coming to Ed's defense, including, you know, one, one that's already came out. So uh, Jonathan mentioned this earlier. There's an Iraqi general, these, these Iraqi special forces, brought this dying ISIS fighter to the SEAL compound. These guys testified that there are many people around 
that Eddie never did this, that there is no need for it. And the most, I think, exonerating thing that NCIS purposefully left out of my brother's hearing in court was that these Iraqis are the same people that disposed of the body after the SEALs had left. And they said that none of what was alleged ever, ever saw. So supposedly the accusations that my brother had stabbed this, this, this fighter in the chest to help him die. These Iraqis who brought the body to the compound and then removed it said, oh, we disposed of the body and we never saw any of the stab wounds. None of this ever happened. And so to Jonathan's earlier point, and something that I cannot stress enough, is that our family since the beginning of this has quite astutely come to the realization that this is not about justice. This is not about the truth. It's about a win, that someone is following and pursuing a line and a strategy of victory by taking down a Navy SEAL because it boosts a career or it boosts an ego or it fits a confirmation bias that they already have, instead of looking at evidence, basing your decisions on facts and, and, and you know, a process by which, oh, if there are contradictory statements, we have to take those into account and all of that stuff. This entire process, you know, from day one, we were like, this shouldn't even have taken place given all of the exonerating and all of the, the exculpatory things that have happened in, in, you know, since the beginning until now. And we're just perplexed, Sean, at this point at the abuse of power, at just the overzealous nature of this case. And, and to reiterate what Jonathan said, my brother, a guy who has fought every single enemy that we've had, Al-Qaeda, the Taliban, and then just ISIS, had to sit handcuffed in a courtroom while a guy who has never fought in combat, probably hasn't fired a rifle since basic, said that my brother is the reason that ISIS killed. This is a guy who just got back from a deployment, his eighth at war, and fought this ruthless enemy and won. And here's a prosecution, a career lawyer, looking at my brother wearing the same uniform and looking at him and saying, I empathize with the enemy. I empathize with ISIS. I don't think that there's been a more disgraceful. I don't think that there's been a more enraging. I don't think that there's been a more just insulting moment that our family, and again, my family has served in the military. My father is 22 years in the Army. I have two uncles that are naval aviators and three grandparents that served in the Navy. We just cannot believe at this moment in history that this kind of utterance is allowed to happen, and this kind of injustice is allowed to perpetuate in the society that we live in. And so, yeah, we're, we're, we're fighting back and seeking as much help as we can. Sean, let me just say this real quick. This is where the brotherhood should step forward. We have this, this term that we use a long time, all the time, long live the brotherhood in the SEAL teams. This is where the brotherhood should stand up. This is where all the people that say they support the SEALs and the job that they do this is where they should step forward and start putting pressure on the JAG Corps and NCIS and the injustice that's being done even before a conviction occurs. He, Eddie has been in jail even before pretrial has occurred. And there's, uh, there are murderers that are walking around that are in the military that are being released on their own recognizance. These are people who murdered other military people. And yet Eddie's being held in jail like – he is a crazed serial killer. It is, it is, this is where the pressure of the brotherhood needs to come down, and they need to come together. Well, is that going to So what is the latest? Tell us the latest with your brother. So my brother right now, has, uh, he's running up on three months, as Jonathan alluded to, three months in what they call pretrial confinement, which means that he hasn't even had the opportunity to defend himself, and yet he's been put in jail. So he's been in jail for three months with no access to medical care, 
He has two slip discs in his back. And again, it just comes back to this thing where he's being treated guilty until proven innocent. And it's, they're making it as unbelievably difficult as possible for us to prove him innocent because of all these impediments. And so, yeah, for the past three months, he's been in jail. His, he, has, he has three children. My, my nephew and, and niece had to visit him in the brig just a few weeks ago for Thanksgiving. They got visitation hours. To, uh, on the family holiday, he'll likely have to spend time in prison all the way until trial, which is not even until next summer, probably. The, the insanity of this process, you can imagine, put yourself in our shoes, that you have this humble warrior as your brother, someone that you know has served in, in the military for 20 years and makes your family immensely proud, and he has been steadily rewarded. He has medals for valor, four good conduct medals, sailor of the year, sailor of the quarter, all of these accolades. Somebody makes up a false rumor about him. They throw him in jail. They, they make it super hard for him to defend himself. And he's going to be in jail now for a year, Sean, until he has the ability to go to trial. This is how this system is set up. And it's so disgusting that sometimes you can't even believe that it's real. And the command is nowhere to be found. The command is not even, was not even getting him to medical, which is unfathomable. He, he was sitting in there. Before he was being treated for a TBI, then he gets incarcerated, and they, the command is nowhere to be found. I cannot understand how this is occurring. It's all careerism in, in our family's perspective, Sean. Where well, we're going to stay on the story. Thank you both for being Absolutely. with us. Uh, we will get to the bottom of this. Sean Gallagher, thank you. Former Navy SEAL Jonathan Gillum, thank you. 800-941-SEAN is our number. All right, that's going to wrap things up. Remember Comey, McCabe, even Peter Strzok? Nobody thought General Flynn lied. How did they ever make this plea agreement in the first place? We'll have the latest details on that. An incredible story we told you about Christmas yesterday. The latest on the caravan. Uh, that's coming up tonight on Hannity on the Fox News Channel. we got a lot to get to in the course of the program. You know, 4,000 migrants have died in just recent years making that trek. News and information you won't get elsewhere. We'll be back here tomorrow. Jack Armstrong, he's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kiwi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's Reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael 
to the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.